0: Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Doug Doohan. Joining me this segment is Kia Garino, Executive Director of Pro-Choice Washington. Join us as we look at issues that affect us here at home in our community and across the nation. Today, we're going to have a conversation about the fight for abortion access. Kia, first of all, this is the third time that I've had you on. Thank you so much for taking time again to be a part of the show.
1: Very, very happy to be here again. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So I think we should just jump right into the topic of the day, which is Mifepristone. So uh, what's going on with access to Mifepristone, the -the over-the-counter morning after pill? Where does that fight stand? And secondarily, why is access to Mifepristone so important?
1: Great question. So Mifepristone has definitely been in the news quite a bit over the last two months. Um, I can back up and give you a little bit of context, but Mifepristone is relevant for this issue of abortion rights, but actually for all reproductive rights in pregnancy, um, because it is used as one of two drugs, mifepristone and misoprostol, in medication abortion. And medication abortion is a form of abortion that is usually um, done within the first 10 to 11 weeks of pregnancy. But mifepristone is also used as part of labor and delivery and as part of miscarriage management. So it covers the whole reproductive journey um, if a person is used throughout it. And the other important fact, uh, before we sort of dive into the details of the case, is that medication abortion accounts for more than half of the abortions across the country. And if you didn't have access to this early, um, very safe, very easy to use uh, drug regimen, then you force individuals to carry a pregnancy longer And then into a clinic setting where it becomes a much more involved, much more expensive, uh, much more risky procedure. And so you're not only taking away an option um, that is is critical for more than half of of the women in this country, but you're also creating more barriers and making things more dangerous. So there's really no good reason to take Mifibristone away um, from women across the reproductive journey.
0: And so I know it recently went to the Supreme court and was kicked back down. So what's going on with that? Where does that fight stand?
1: Yeah. So my first was um, brought forward by a group in Texas uh, earlier this year. And this group specifically registered in this specific part of Texas because they knew that they would uh, be able to bring a case to a Trump appointed judge who has been very clear about his perspective on reproductive rights. Um, and they are challenging the FDA approval of mifepristone, which has been in place for two decades. And this drug has been repeatedly shown by multiple studies to actually be safer than most over-the-counter drugs, including Tylenol. Um, but this case erroneously argues that there was a politically motivated approval um, that wasn't based in science, whereas it it very much was. So this case went through, um, initially, this A court in Texas, and then it was brought up to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is also notoriously quite conservative, and there was an intention in sending the the case to that court. Um, And that court actually rules that in the interim, while they're deciding, access to MIFA prisoners should be restricted. Um, and so they didn't say absolutely no one can use it, but they actually restricted access, which is why back in April, the Biden administration and several other organizations appealed to the Supreme Court to restore access to Bifid So this sounds really complicated, but basically back in April, the Supreme Court said, you know what, while this case is being decided, we're going to keep things as they are. And that's in part thanks to a lawsuit that came out of Washington state, actually, our, our home state, because um, our attorney general, Along with several other attorney generals, actually put forward a case to challenge the FDA on any restrictions to mifepristone, and that allowed us to to save um, the ability for people to use mifepristone while this court case comes to pass. So that's all. It sounds very complicated. All I have to say is today mifepristone is still accessible, and that's really important distinction.
0: How do the you, Supreme
1: Court? Oh, so go uh, ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just just going to ask how do you foresee the current court case moving forward.
1: Yeah, great question. So it's a little bit tough to see. I mean, I think that um, it was very clear in the Texas case at the lower court uh, that they were willing to undermine public health and science and overturn an approval without any basis, um, either political or scientific. The Fifth Circuit of Court of Appeals seems to be moving in that direction, which is very concerning. We don't know for sure, but they had their first round of hearings um, earlier this month, and it seems very clear that the judge is willing to make a similar decision. Whether or not that will be the case remains to be seen. As far as the Supreme Court, it's a little bit interesting. We know that they don't have a good track (laughs) record in protecting reproductive rights, um, and the argument being used to overturn Mifid is likewise a law based in 1840s purity perspectives, the Comstock Law. And so there are similarities to the Roe case um, that the Supreme Court may choose to decide to restrict medication abortion. But because they sent down uh, sent the case back while protecting the drug, it remains to be seen. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I think that the, the future of Mifepristone is far from safe. Um, and there is a lot more advocacy work that has to happen. And I think the main thing, aside from restricting access to one of the safest and most important drugs in reproductive care in this country, is that it shows a willingness to ignore basic legal and scientific standards and to undermine the power of the FDA as a core player in our reproductive or our overall health care in this country. And I think that still is going to be a consequence, even if Mifepristone remains available.
0: So you briefly touched on the next topic that I want to talk about, and that is the Supreme court and the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which it's been almost a year now since it was overturned. Mm -hmm. Where, where does that fight stand at the moment? Uh, What does the future look like for reenacting it? Is there anything moving forward?
1: It is a really, a wild thing that it's been a year. I would say that, we talked about this last time, and I, I think it's it holds true, that the work to restore abortion rights is at the state level. And it is in local elections. And you've seen this now across the country, elections around things like school boards or county commissioners or sheriffs. That's actually where a lot of the opportunity and the consequences of abortion rights are playing out. And so a lot of this work is going to be ground up. There are national policies that are being worked to pass through the Senate and the House, like the Women's uh, Health Protection Act, the WHPA. Um, But we know that the federal level is at a deadlock right now. um, And so it's going to be very difficult to restore anything federally. So I think it's going to be a combination of both, right? It's absolutely, we need to keep reintroducing the Women's Health Protection Act and um, laws that are similarly expansive. But most of our energy is really going to be spent at that local level.
0: And now we've, because of these decisions in the last year, seen more and more cases of women being forced to carry unviable fetuses to term. Mm-hmm. Um, recently in Florida, uh, a woman was forced, forced to carry a a baby with no kidneys to term where Mm -hmm. everyone knew it was going to die as soon as it was born similarly in texas a woman was forced to carry a fetus missing part of its skull Mm -hmm. what should people know about these instances what what should people be aware of as far as things like this happening
1: yeah i mean i think we can expect this to happen much much more and i think we are just seeing the beginning of the consequences of these types of decisions. And I think collectively as a country, we need to understand that abortion is a core part of pregnancy and reproductive healthcare. And, you know, in Idaho, we're seeing almost all of the major labor and delivery wards closing because you can't actually separate out these pieces of women's healthcare. And so, you know, I think there is a false narrative that abortion is is used for contraceptives, right? And in some cases it and Absolutely, that is the right thing for that individual and they should be able to do that. And it shows up in instances like this where you are forcing someone to go through significant physical, psychological, and financial harm in a country that doesn't support any of those things, right? It, mm-hmm. Healthcare in this country is incredibly expensive and already exhibits bias against women and especially women of color. So you're forcing somebody to go through a system that is already harmful to them while also suffering physical and emotional damage, which we don't support either. We're we're creating these environments in which you are deeply hurting people and it's only going to get worse. And I think we don't do a good enough job in understanding how these things play out together, right? We fight for abortion rights because abortion in and of itself is a critical part of women's health and because it is the cornerstone to so many other socioeconomic and political participation issues, as well as just overall health and well-being in a time where we are already in a healthcare crisis.
0: Yeah. And I oh. think
1: this is just an example. Yeah.
0: Um, Talk to me then about the future of abortion access in the state of Washington. And then secondarily, I hear the term uh, sanctuary states quite a bit Mm. in in reference to abortion access. Um, So what does the future look like for Washington? And is Washington a sanctuary state? And what is that?
1: Yeah, great question. So Washington is considered a sanctuary state. And what that terminology means is it builds off the sanctuary cities that we saw during during the Trump administration. The idea is we have the protections in place for the most part that allow people to get access to abortion care legally in our state. So Washington is among a rapidly decreasing number of states that has basic legal rights to abortion care. And so we are seeing a massive influx of patients from across the country who are coming into our state because they know that they can get care here. So that is what sanctuary say. Our role is to hold the people who are forced to become refugees from their own states and also risk persecution, genu- genuine criminalization and persecution upon their return. We receive them here because we've been able to fight who's the nail to hold on to our abortion rights restrictions here, our protections here. The future, though, is not certain. And I hear a lot of people in Washington say, oh, why do we care about this? We're fine. And I unfortunately have to share that we are not fine. It takes everything we have to hold the tide. And because we are among the few sanctuary states, we are the recipient of lots of efforts to roll back our rights. Lots of misinformation campaigns, lots of funding of political candidates who are against any form of reproductive rights. We also face the risk of a national abortion ban. 2024 is going to tell us a lot about whether or not abortion remains legal at all in America. We have already seen several introductions of national contraceptive and abortion bans. And if we lose the majority, we will lose Access even here in Washington. And cases like the Mifibrostone case also show that there are federal cases that can come up and take away the rights here. If we lose Mifibrostone access, that will happen here too. Mm. We won't have access even mm. though we protect and believe in the right to abortion. Not to mention that access across Washington is not equitable in any way, shape, or form. There are still cost barriers. There are still hospitals that deny abortion care because of their individual policy so you know there's a lot of work that has to happen just to maintain our ability to access the basic abortion care not to mention the need to expand it
0: so what would you say to somebody listening right now who's very concerned about this and wants to do something but has no clue where to start i mean as an individual sometimes we can feel overwhelmed by yeah. how do we even begin to help in something like this what would you say to them
1: um similar as i think i've given before which is Local elections matter. Conversations about this matter. Being able to really think about this issue as a whole part of reproductive healthcare and seeing yourself within that in a new way. I think, so in terms of individual action, it would be voting in local elections. And if you're so inclined, consider running for local elections, specifically things like school board or commissioners things that really influence a community's outcome. Think about that. Otherwise, just pay attention and vote. Voting matters on this issue and it matters right now more than it has in a long time. I think the other thing is having those dialogues with your peers. I, I have heard from my friends and my community that there is a deep desire to put our head in the sand because it is too much. And I totally understand that. And that is part of the tactic. So we have to resist a desire to shy away from this, you know, and to have the conversations about this. It's very, it's very straightforward when we think about it as reproductive healthcare. And then the last, of course, is donating to grassroots and local efforts. There are clinics that are receiving more patients than ever before in Washington that need resources. And then there are organizations like ours who are the people in the room in Olympia and the frontline against those who are trying to take rights away and it it takes resources to do that, and so I think those are sort of three concrete things people can do, and even small things um, in those three areas make a big difference.
0: Yeah, and so uh, the unfortunate thing about conversations like this is we can only scratch the surface. If somebody wants yeah. to learn more uh, or really dive into the details of this, where would you send them?
1: Yeah, um, well, we do a lot of public education, so our our site is constantly being updated with. Um, news from the field. We do regular newsletters about what's happening. So if you just want information, um, we are happy to provide that. Of course, um, there are also, you know, in Washington state, the the Washington um, Department of Health has a fantastic website that talks a lot about what it means to get abortion and reproductive care in Washington. So if you're curious about the the what and the how for our state, absolutely check them out. Those are two places to
0: start. Awesome. Kia, thank you so much for joining me this morning.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. I hope one day we can talk about <laughs> a reflection of this time.
0: <laughs> yeah. When we do, I promise I will have you on. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for listening. To Conversations-, Conversations is a public affairs program at this station.